Lifestyle Matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host, filling in for Dave Bob, which is Leanna Wojniak. Leanna, welcome. Thanks for having me today, Faisal. What a very interesting week and an interesting show we have mm-hmm. today as well. Mm-hmm. Have you been keeping warm? Uh, we have been keeping warm, yes. How about you? Do you notice that in our office building, that every time it hits this cold, they jack up the heat so high that you feel like wearing shorts in the office and you have to wear like thermal underwear when you go outside the office. Isn't that like ironic how that happens in our office? Absolutely. And I mean, that's one of the things that I think the story of extremes for us is one of the things that we probably saw a little bit of this week. Yes, we did when it comes to the markets and what's mm-hmm. happening in, in regards to some of the data that we received. Um, we've got a very interesting show. So we definitely mm-hmm. want to talk about what's been happening in the markets. We want to talk about the hot and cold. Let's start off with Mm -hmm. the cold. Rent prices are going up, but also for retirement homes. Mm -hmm. So what's going to happen there? Number three, we also have the hot. Where can you go and find a nice property to invest Mm -hmm. or live in outside of Canada? We've got a nice little uh, survey and a report on some of the top destinations around the world. And I can tell you, this is the week people have been thinking, oh, I need to find a place that's not here and not minus 40. And normally, you know, Popwich has poor timing in his life, <laughs> but this one he nailed. He went on vacation right at minus 40. Mm-hmm. What a smart guy he is. Perfect timing. Or maybe just lucky. <laughs> well, let's see what was lucky and unlucky this week. When you look at the overall markets, they came out with the numbers of our inflation uh, for individuals in, in, in the United States. We saw the headline inflation go up. But the core inflation, slightly lower. Uh, The core inflation, for those who don't know, are stripping out the volatile numbers like energy and food and just sticking to the core pieces that way. That was a slight down. So the markets were kind of mixed going in on Thursday. Coming Friday morning, the producer price index had a little bit of a different story. Mm -hmm. Producers are paying less for their core costs, which is meaning higher potential profits. And so we saw a bit of a volatility on both sides and the U.S. bank earnings came in causing some problems as well. So what a very interesting week that we've seen so far. Yeah, mixed, mixed overall, which is really interesting. I'm not sure the market knows entirely what to make of the various different data points that are somewhat contradictory. As you mentioned, the producer prices versus the inflation number. On the surface of it, there's a headline difference there. You see the backwards looking inflation that has the higher number, you have the producer price index, which is showing a little bit of room. We've got a little bit of wiggle room there now. Um, What is your outlook for the next couple of months? How do you think those inflationary prices and those producer prices will play into those inflation numbers over the next bit? That's a a good question. I think that's that's a interesting piece when it comes to the data points. We are what we're seeing is that inflation is still a bit sticky, regardless of the producer or consumer. Inflation is still a bit sticky. Now you're also getting earnings season coming in the United States, uh, more so than in Canada, but it's, it's called coming out now. So you're seeing how the companies are handling this. You're going to probably see a trend of a lot more job cuts, mm-hmm. and as these job cuts continue, that's one of the metrics for this Federal Reserve to look at is employment. So they wouldn't be surprised to see a tick up in unemployment rate. But I don't anticipate in the, in the upcoming months, that's the next three, of a rate cut by the Federal Reserve, which is going to disappoint many investors. 
So I think what people are trying to figure out is when's this rate cut going to happen? And even if you take some of the estimates that are happening, Leanna, you see they're saying three rate cuts this year as a minimum. Well, three rate cuts is 75 basis points or three quarters of 1%. When you're at five, five and a quarter, that doesn't mean much. Mm -hmm. 15 to 20% cut in in interest costs isn't going to change the world. So it's not big. Where the big issues come into play is how these companies are going to be able to maintain their earnings. Now, that's different than how the economy is going to maintain itself. Mm -hmm. It's easier for a company to cut and, and I call it a skeleton staff and reduce their expenses to hit earnings than it is for the economy to adjust. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we're going to find uh, over the coming months. And we're getting into sweeps where we're going to start to see what's happening with the presidential election. Mm -hmm. We're hearing more and more about the two potential candidates. Mm -hmm. uh, one hasn't even been at any debate yet, right. but still the front runner. Yes. One is, in many views, in a debate in himself and is the, you know, the president as we speak. So there's, there's an interesting piece going to happen here. And I think um, we're going to hear more and more of the presidential election as we get to the later half of this quarter. And as we get up to that point, it's all going to be guessing on when this economy is going to slow down and if it goes into recession. And I think one thing that's important to think about for investors is the difference between emotion and what the actual economic impact of things are. I think you kind of touched on it a little bit, but there's a number of emotional things that are coming up this year. So elections, that's definitely one of them. Investors always look at elections as emotional inflection points. They have their favorite candidate. They are cheering for one side of the other. They think everything is going to go completely south if their wrong candidate wins. There's a lot of emotion behind that. Same thing with the interest rate cuts. People are just looking for that downward movement rather than the upward movement, I think, even though, as you mentioned, the actual material financial impact is maybe not as big as it will feel as a relief to see those interest rate cuts. We're probably going to see it with earnings. And we're we're going to see it also with those job cuts. Job cuts don't feel good from an economic perspective or from a personal investor perspective. From an economic perspective, the Federal Reserve is waiting to see these. Like This is something that is important for them to have as part of their mandate. When you listen to the central bankers around the world, when you listen to portfolio managers of large pension plans or institutions, sentiment or emotion is rarely discussed. The opportunity for sentiment is a trader's world. Mm -hmm. How you feel will determine if you should get in and get out of a position for short-term gain or protection. But when you start dealing with facts, that's the longer-term view. And I find it very interesting when I, when I read all the central bankers' reports, when I listen to their commentary, sentiment will dictate behavior in the short run, yet they're still driven by the facts. Mm -hmm. And I think that's uh, one thing that you've, you've nailed on that uh, we should be focusing on uh, for the coming months is what's the fact and what's the sentiment. We sometimes use the word noise or news, but let's talk about sentiment, how we feel about it, not what the noise is, how we feel about it. We've had some issues with some airlines and some and some planes 
And that makes people get weary about traveling. That doesn't mean the facts are you can't travel. Mm -hmm. That just means you're scared. Mm -hmm. And we understand that. There's some issues about political issues going around globally, geopolitical issues. The facts are what's happening, but how you feel about it is how you'll react to it. So I think sentiment's going to be a very big driver in the coming months uh, until the facts come into play. Well, and I think you make an important point there that it's very important as an individual investor to be able to say, I have a feeling about this, and it is different than what the actual facts or economic outcome or financial outcome of any particular data point is. So it's important to be able to split those two things apart. That's partly why people sometimes work with an advisor, because you can feel those emotions, but somebody else maybe has less um, connection to that or has a more fact-driven view. Um, that's why people get help managing their money on that front. This is an interesting topic we need to discuss. Mm -hmm. We've heard of inflation happening. We've heard the that rent is going up on out there. But one part of rent that hasn't been discussed, I think, enough is the rent to, to retirement homes. So let me kind of put this out on play, Liana. In, in late September, 57 people living at Severa Westview Resident West in Glenmorgan, Calgary, were notified of a rent increase that should be kicking in January 1st of this year. It was supposed to basically go up by 55%. Wow. So they've kind of tapered that down. They've delayed that to March 1st of this year. But there's an anecdotal piece in the, in the article that I was reading that an individual was paying $1,275 a month is now moving to just under $1,600, not including any additional fees that they may throw out their way. This catches a lot of people off guard. Mm -hmm. The rent increases that are happening and so forth. So, of course, the question is, what do you do? And many Canadians who are using these types of, of homes are not on a free-flowing type of budget. They're on a fixed income, literally pension and CPP and so forth. That's right. And so when, when you hear this part, um, Leanna, what's, what's the first thing that caught, caught your attention or what, what crossed your mind? Well, the first thing that crossed my mind was that a lot of people don't have a plan or anything in place for what to do. And when you're at a retirement residence, you maybe don't have as many options to move, change the kinds of services that you need, those sorts of things. So that's one of the reasons we wanted to talk to our guest today, who maybe has some options of what you can do to protect yourself when it comes to retirement residences. Yeah. Let's talk to our expert. that has been a recurring guest of ours, Kathy Metham, founder and senior advisor, Proactive Seniors. Kathy, welcome to the show. Thanks. Nice to see you guys again. All right. Let's kick right into it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the, the, the story that we just talked about, potentially 55% hike in, in rent in some places. Um, are situations like this going to basically be common when it comes to these types of homes? Well, it is very common to see an increase every year. But what we've seen in this last six months has been uncommon and hopefully will continue to be uncommon, which is a really significant increase. There's been a nominal increase in the public sector. So in public seniors housing, very nominal increase, a couple hundred dollars a month. The not-for-profit sector, which is what you're talking about with Silvera, they have had some significant price adjustments, obviously due to inflation, um, the cost of providing the service, but also catching up from a price decrease that happened after COVID. And we're seeing the same in the private market as well. After COVID, occupancy rates were very low. So all of the 
not-for-profit and private facilities dropped their entrance fees, dropped their lease fees, and now they've done a big catch-up, and then we've got inflation on top of that. So people were totally unprepared for this big increase. I don't think we'll see it ongoing, but it's going to be painful for this next year um, to see big, big increases across the board, I think. So if you've had a large increase like this and you're not prepared for it, it maybe doesn't fit within your budget, what are your options? Like what kind of solutions do people have? Well, I think what people need to do, whether they're planning for seniors living at some point in time or whether they're in it and finding they can't afford it anymore, is they really need to understand what they qualify for. Because there is subsidized seniors housing and you have to be below an income threshold to be eligible for subsidized seniors housing. And then there's the public system and then there's private. And they're very different. Access is very different. Eligibility is different. And you need to know well ahead of time which one you are fitting into. So if you don't fit into subsidized because you're not below that income threshold and you don't fit into public because you're below the care need threshold, you're stuck with private and then you need to know what those costs are going to be and you might need to be planning for that many years ahead of time. Kathy, this is where I call it the wow and scramble situation. You get a notification that rent is going up, wow, now you're scrambling to figure out what do you do. And, and yes, Google can help us to a certain degree, but it can be overwhelming with all the information on the internet. Some of it's outdated. Some of it's not even relevant anymore. Some of it doesn't even exist anymore um, because of the changes since COVID and so forth. So what does an individual facing the situation, what's the th- first three steps that they should do? Um, and and I'm, I'm suggesting don't go to Google first. Mm-hmm. I would agree. You're just going to be, be completely overwhelmed with Google. So you can reach out to a company such as ours who can help you figure out which category you fit into and give you some education so you can look a little bit further on your own in the right setting or the right category. We're happy to do that. We don't charge for that. Um, or you can have a service like ours help you find exactly what you need in the right category. If you're going to be doing this on your own, um, it, it does take some time to understand what you fit into. So the Kirby Center is a good location that has information on the general um, information about seniors housing. They can't help you specifically, but they can start to point people in the right direction. But people need time to to learn and educate themselves um, so that they're not stuck in a crisis having to make a decision that's maybe not optimal for them. So time is important and reaching out to the experts that can help you navigate through that complicated system. I was hoping for a little bit more um, detail from you. You mentioned there are a couple different criteria that people need to worry about when they look at what types of homes or what types of facilities are available to them. You mentioned there's an income um, criteria, let's call it, and a, and a care threshold. Are there other criteria? So what do people need to think about when they're looking at these things? Well, those are the two most important ones, because that will distinguish which category of housing you're narrowing down your search into. So with the subsidized seniors housing, you have to be below that income threshold. You can't own a house. You can't own any property. Um, for the public sector supportive living and long-term care, they need to assess you and determine if you meet their care needs. So that assessment process can take a little time and you go through that through Alberta Health Services and they'll tell you whether you qualify for their care. And if they don't, then by default, you're into that private market. 
It's important to consider also your preferences. If you want to be in something larger than a studio suite, you're already looking in the private market. If you want to be with your spouse or partner, you're most likely looking into the private market. If you have a spouse or partner with care needs that are different than yours, you're most likely looking into the private market. So there's a number of factors that will default you into one of those categories. And it's important to have an understanding of what those factors are and how they're going to impact your choices and your decisions, again, early enough to have time to sort of navigate through those options. Kathy, right away when we were talking about this, many people will say, well, why doesn't the government just put in rent control? Why don't they just say you can't go any higher? And I, and I think people need to take a step back and look at this as a business at the end of the day, even for the not-for-profits, they have to break even at least, if not make a little bit more just to cover any additional costs in the future. So let's not assume that rent control is the answer for the problem that's happening throughout this province. So let's take that off the table. If you were the grand wizard who could solve the problem right in this province, what would you do? We need more quantity. So we don't have enough subsidized housing, public supportive living, nor private uh, facilities to meet the demand today. And we certainly don't have enough to meet the demand that's coming. So more need to be built. Um, and so that means the private sector needs to decide to get into this business. And I know it's it's uh, only certain people that want to get into the retirement residence market business. So there's a few that are starting to build more. Um, the not-for-profit is severely restricted. We need more government funding to go into that sector. And the public um, care facilities, they're about three years behind in keeping up with the demand. And so we need the government to recognize that the demand is is growing faster than they are meeting the supply and they need to start getting more more open um, or coming up with some creative options. You know, there's a lot of vacancies in other buildings and they might need to convert. I would like to see them convert some other buildings to subsidized housing or public housing. The private market can take care of itself, I think, but the public and the su supported living needs some support for sure. From your lips to God's ears, thank you very much, Kathy, for helping us understand the situation as we see it today. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime. We've been joined by Kathy Madam, founder of and senior advisor at Proactive Seniors. Leanna, if there's any country outside of Canada you'd like to buy to live for your retirement or buy to invest, what country would it be? Oh, I think investing and 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 uh, actually living are two different questions. But I always I like to look at the you know the European property, the some certain places over there where you get to see maybe some less expensive places, little maybe Airbnb potential, that sort of thing. Ah, mm -hmm. I I would lean more to the beach area closer to Canada. I always go to Mexico. I don't mm -hmm. know if I'm going to continue to do that, but I, I kind of would lean there because it's close to close to home here in Calgary. So uh, that's the that's the conversation that we're going to be having is mm -hmm. that there's there's a, a recent survey that's come out from Real Estate Trend Alert that talks about what individuals are interested in either buying for investment purposes or living where, what countries, what are the opportunities. So I think we should bring our reoccurring guest on here to talk about some of the trends that we're mm -hmm. seeing. We've got Ronan McCann, founder and editor of Real Estate Trend Alert. Ronan, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me and um, lovely to be here. And I'm talking to you from Cabo San Lucas now, a, a straight shot almost south of you guys. 
I think we have the same temperature as they do in Kabul. We just put a negative in front of ours. Exactly. This is minus <laughs> minus 30 rather than plus. <laughs> yeah. That's where we're at. Right now. We, we have what they call a cold front rolling through right now, and temperatures have dipped to 19 degrees Celsius. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> they must be going through a lot of problems down there. <laughs> I think anybody in Calgary would happily take 19 degrees over that. It, it is tolerable because the sunshine is bright and warm. You know, you, you probably need to have your pool heated. It's that cold. Uh oh. Oh, dear. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, let's get right into this whole, uh, the whole survey and so forth, Ronan. We're so jealous of where you're at right now. A recent report surveyed that uh, people are, who are likely to invest or in many cases retire in overseas real estate, what are the, the top locations that they were interested in? So, I mean, just as you kind of set up there, you know, Portugal is coming in by a long shot, the, 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 the number one, you know, I mean, close to, close to 40% of, of, of folks wrote and said that Portugal is, is their number one spot, closely followed by Costa Rica and then Mexico. So, I mean, it's, it's very, very interesting, I guess, the, the, the rationale that they gave for, for, for these various places. This was a somewhat kind of catch-all survey that where we, where we pulled in perceptions and expectations around investment returns and also the, the lifestyle benefits and kind of poo pulled it all into, into one data set, you know, what, what Portugal shows time and time again to be incredibly attractive for is, you know, healthcare, strong rule of law, security. It's just a really, really beautiful, safe and secure place with excellent healthcare. And then lower down in terms of the, the, the weightings comes the, the, the very, very low cost of living. Um, so Portugal came out on top, you know, by quite a significant route for, for, for those reasons. I'm curious, do people who are particularly in retirement or who are thinking about retiring, having a second property somewhere in the world, do they tend to think more about investing in those properties? Or are they thinking about it as just a vacation property somewhere that, to live for themselves? Okay, so the, the, the great question. And th there, is, there, is, there is a spectrum and it's generally a combination of, of both factors. Generally, folks are drawn with their heart, but it's a financial rationale that, that gets them over the line. And, you know, I'd also say that there's also a distinction there between folks who are maybe part-time living and full-time living overseas. So, you know, for example, here where I am in, in Cabo, there's a lot of folks from Calgary and, and Western Canada. They're, they typically come for maybe three or four months of the year. Maybe they, go, maybe they go home for the holidays. You know, many of them very interestingly have driven down here and, um, and leave, their, leave their Canadian cars down here. But for, for many of those who, who are snowbirds or part-time livers, that, that investment equation is, is more important 
than, for example, the person who's maybe relocating full time to to Portugal or or Italy. Because again, if you're if you're considering part time living, you're going to be making the equation or the comparison between you know the cost of vacationing in a place for three or four months versus the the potential financial returns plus the costs involved in ownership. So when you look at that as a, I'll call it a, a hybrid approach, you're going to live there part of the time and you're also going to rent it out. What's the process? So let's You can pick any of the countries that were on the list. What's the process that someone has to go through? Because in my view, becoming a landlord of a foreign property becomes uh, a foreign headache for me. That's what it sounds like. But just walk me through what does the individual have to go through to be that 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 hybrid approach where they can utilize the property and they can also generate some revenue to offset some costs? Yeah, it, it's really very straightforward. Once you're in a place like, again, just to use the, the, the Cabo example, and I'm just using that as an example, maybe because I'm here and it's one of the places that 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 I that I do this. So I brought my condo here as part of my real estate trend alert group. We bought pre-construction. I had done all the, the due diligence and negotiated a special deal for, for our members. But essentially you buy, you look to buy well by buying from a strong, reputable developer. You know, you're you need to get very, very ruthless about what your criteria are, you know, what's really important to you. You know, do you really want to be on or near the beach or is it more important to be walking distance to town and the, the various amenities so you buy your property you furnish it you spend whatever time you want to when you're here and um, then you find a, a good rental manager and you hand them the keys when you're leaving it's really as simple as that because my home is portugal I spent summers in Ireland. The last time we spoke, um, I was talking to you from Ireland. And then this time of year, I'm in Cabo San Lucas. When I leave end of March, I hand the keys to my rental manager. I only look to have a single tenant for the eight or nine months that I'm away. Um, the rental manager oversees everything. The checks arrive. Any issues with the property they deal with. Um, it's It's really very straightforward. In fact, it's a lot less ownersome. It's a lot less cumbersome than I find being a landlord in, let's call it the developed world, like Ireland or, or, or the UK. You know, I haven't been a landlord in, in Canada, but, you know, generally just the kind of the regulatory environment and the complexities are much, much more onerous in, let's call it, more developed countries. We have under a minute left, Ronan. Anybody looking at buying, investing, and possibly the hybrid approach in these countries that made the list? What's your top three tips for them? So my top three tips is, you know, visit, do your due diligence, boots on the ground, and then you find, when you find what you want, be sure to get um, a, a good lawyer, but be absolutely ruthless in your vetting of a destination and you need to consider this as a place you will live and spend extended periods of time so by way of example when i started off on this journey i first settled in the caribbean and um, because i love caribbean destination um, vacations and i do to this day 
but living there was a whole other experience. It was too hot, too humid for me. So after that experience, I, I found weather was just critical to me. So I've navigated to lower humidity, sunny places like Cabo, like Portugal. So do, do your due diligence and, you know, ruthlessly stick to your criteria and just visit, you know, this is a, this is a great adventure to be, to be savored. Enjoy the process. We've enjoyed my run in McCann. Founder and editor of Real Estate Trend Alert. Ronan, thank you for joining us today. Lovely to be here. This is a very interesting one. New Year's resolutions have come out. Many people say, I want to be in better financial shape. What the heck does that mean? Well, it's resolution season and you get everything from a financial resolution to save more money to maybe you've gone on holiday for the Christmas season and you're getting back to work in January and going, I don't necessarily want to do this anymore like i think it's maybe time to retire so a lot of people i think are thinking at this point where do i even start planning whether it's saving more whether it's cleaning up debt whether it's looking for um, more effective investments whether it's maybe just making a plan to retire in the near term i think at this point in time of the year when people make their new year's resolution they sit down with professionals like us and they tell us about the tasks they want to do. Mm-hmm. I want to pay off my debt. I want to save more money. I think people need to start looking at what does it mean? What does it mean if you pay off your debt? What does it mean if you start saving more money? And I think if, if they sit down with professionals or they're going through the, them themselves, let's start with what does everything mean for you? A lot of Canadians have approached us in the first 10 days of the year, saying, I'm done. Mm -hmm. I want to retire. What does retirement mean to you? Are you just frustrated because you're in a job you don't like? Or are you literally done working and you want to live off your savings? Mm -hmm. Those are two different things. Absolutely. And this week is particularly bad, you know, when it's minus 30, minus 40 (laughs) out with the wind chill, and you're going, I could be sitting on a beach somewhere. I'm getting close to retirement age. Why am I still doing this? I think that's a question that comes up for a lot of people. And I think this is the time where when we start to dig in a bit more and find out what does it mean. But here are some questions I have for you. When you look at when you look at some of the key issues that you've been hearing in the first 10 days alone, the first 10 days of, of the calendar year, what are some of the, the key takeaways or meanings that people want to achieve? What do they want to achieve when they're when they're saying I have a certain task I want to achieve? Well, for most people, I think it's a sense of security. That's really what money means to them ultimately. Whether it's I want to have less debt so it's I'm not worried about somebody taking money from me, a creditor trying to take money from me, not beholden to somebody, not have some freedom in that case. Freedom comes with the requirement for security. Mm -hmm. Same thing when you're looking at retirement, when you're looking at saving more. It's really to give you the keys to additional freedom so that you can do other things in your life than what you're currently doing and not have some other impetus, whether it's I need a paycheck every month coming from an employer because I don't necessarily have enough saved to retire. What does that number even look like? All of those things really boil down to a sense of security that people need in order to have the freedom to do other things with their lives. 
I think you've nailed the, ex the session I just had on Thursday with a couple who sat down with me, shared with me their financial situation, and I asked the question, what does it mean to you when you retire? And those two words came out from them, one from each of the partners. One was looking at the retirement and the, and the plan and the strategy to be something to provide them security. The other one wanted the freedom to do. And I think when you start going down a path and you start to figure out those are what you're trying to achieve, now you can drill down what does security look like. Mm -hmm. And for this individual, security was, I don't have to worry about running out of money. Mm -hmm. If I want to buy a car, I don't have to worry about running out of money. If I have to fix my house, I don't have to worry about running out of money. Because the paycheck, it feels that they're receiving in retirement that is dwindling from their nest egg. Not that it's a paycheck. No, and it's difficult to watch that number go down. As you take money out of your savings, Canadians are so, we get the message all of the time, you need to save more, you need to save more. It's very difficult to start drawing from that. That's that's taking that sense of security away to watch that number go down as you're withdrawing from it. So that's difficult for a lot of people to think about. I also think it's interesting that they identified both freedom and security as part of that because they're kind of two roots to the same place. There's kind of an answer for both of those things that stems from the same thing, and that's a plan. Both freedom and security are addressed by knowing what your direction is, what it looks like, and being able to be flexible or create strategy around that. That's the comfort and also the place where you get freedom from that, having that plan and having that structure. Here's something that our industry has done to try to tackle the issue of freedom and security, which you, which you uh, clearly articulate how it all leads to the same destination. They've created financial products to act as if it's going to help you with your security and your freedom. Mm -hmm. They create financial products that provide some sort of output. And the output's financial. And therefore, you're going to have your security and freedom. This is where I have a hard time. I bang my head against the wall saying, why does our industry continue to do that? Well, I'm not that dumb. So I think I can figure out that they're in the business of selling financial products. But what about the, the concept of building a proper structured plan and a strategy around it? You can calculate how much you need to retire very easily. You can plug in some numbers to see what's the amount of money you need saved in order to reach the income using certain assumptions? Very easy to do, free online, no problem. But that's not strategy. That's calculation. Walk me through your view when you've been talking to in the first 10 days of this calendar year. What are some of the strategies that people need to look at in order to reach that security and freedom that they're, they're thriving through? Well, the strategy really comes down to, as you mentioned, it starts with what your goals are. And then we have to build out a financial strategy. And that's not just what investments you're buying on a given day or when you're, when you're selling them. That's definitely part of it. But there's also, you need to think about taxes. You need to think about how much is going to your tax bills and whether or not you can reduce that in a way within the tax code. Are you overpaying there? You can look at strategies for um, saving and investing that are perhaps outside of your portfolio, uh, whether those are 
physical assets, you need to actually look at your entire situation to build it all into your strategy. Then you come to the point where you actually build out your investment strategy. And that's a whole other piece. I know you could talk at length for, <laughs> uh, on, on that piece, but that requires a structure and it requires discipline to stick to. And that's one thing that I think similar to any New Year's resolution that you put in place, discipline is the one thing that is the most challenging thing for people to stick to when it comes to their financial strategies. Leanna, have you ever gone backpacking? I have, yes. Where'd you go? To the mountains. Okay. You're backpacking to the mountains. What did you pack? You pack everything that you need to survive for, for the few days that you're gone. Yeah. And then you try and take out as much as you possibly can. <laughs> it is very interesting when people are planning for their retirement that they're not looking at it as the journey that they have to pack for. Mm -hmm but they're looking for the destination of the mountains. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where in, in this new year, let's start packing for everything that could happen. That's the planning, the strategy, the approach. And then when you get to the mountains, in retirement, it's not a destination. There's still different parts of the mountain that require different items in your backpack, mm -hmm. not only for survival, but to have enjoyment as well. That's right. I think that's where we need to head towards. Um, again, we're going to be having a conversation about this at our upcoming seminar. Uh, when is the next seminar we're going to have? Dana? It's on Tuesday, January 23rd at 7 p.m. in person at the Country Hills Golf Club. Now, we are almost at capacity, so please register at morethanmoneyradio.com. We are almost at capacity. Make sure you register for this because um, this is the one that we're going to set off for the whole year that will help individuals reach their financial goals. On behalf of Leanna and myself, thank you for joining us on QR Calgary and More Than Money. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.